Welcome to the Empathetic Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Aaron Ballou from Split. Aaron, it's really nice to have you on. Thanks, Brad. Happy to be here. I'm super excited. So, Aaron, can you just tell me a bit about yourself and about your company and what you're up to these days? Yeah, I'm the chief marketing officer of Split, which is a SaaS-based software development tool for developers, product teams who are releasing new features into their app. We use a technique called feature flags, also called feature toggles, and we use those to expose a new feature to some subset of your end users and correlate that change that you made to whatever the business or technical performance metrics are that your company cares about. So, so for marketers, you know, that may sound a little bit like A-B testing. I know you have a lot of marketers listening, and that would definitely be one of the use cases for this stuff, but it's not the only one, right? You could also do it like a gradual rollout of the feature to a like a small group of users, check that you didn't break anything and then just roll it out to the rest, right? Or if you did see something broken, you can flip the switch, kill it, everything's back to normal. Absolutely. So what does this space look like from a marketing perspective? Who are you targeting? Who's your ICP, all that stuff? Anybody who's got an app where there are enough users, there's enough activity where doing it right would be worth something to you and doing it wrong would cost you something. Um, it's easy to say that's the case for anybody, but it's not really true. You have to you have to have some critical mass to where the stakes are high enough, and then investing in operating model, investing in a tool, that sort of stuff. There's enough, call it ROI, to make that investment. The target audience is developers, engineering managers, or engineering teams. Um, another member of the ecosystem would be product managers. So, you know, people who care about whether this rollout went well whether we broke anything, whether it did the thing we thought it was going to do. We were trying to encourage people to sign up more or to have bigger shopping carts. Did they actually behave that way? So if you're in that ecosystem, then this is the kind of thing you might be interested in. Very cool. So there's a lot of different marketing strategies, playbooks, things that folks are thinking about right now. From a high level, tell me a bit about your marketing strategy. Where are your areas of focus? What are things that you really feel confident or going to drive you guys forward and contribute to pipeline and all that stuff? Our strategy this year is to say and do things worth remembering. Let me put it that way without getting all marketing jargon. We're not a household name yet. And our category is not a household name yet, which by the way, it's called feature management and experimentation. For marketers and most of your listeners probably, A-B testing and that sort of thing is standard practice now. For development teams, it's I would say it's earlier than that. It's becoming best practice, but it's not yet standard practice. The category is emerging. People are starting to become aware. I would say developers have always been sensitive to, did I break something? Absolutely. That's like very, very core day-to-day motivation. But measuring whether the thing resulted in the business outcome you're looking for, I wouldn't say that's been the top priority for a long time, but for some teams, it absolutely is a very top priority. And then there are many, many teams, especially the best of the best, who are going as far as running A-B tests, right? Trying to test different variants against each other and see which one is statistically better than the other. Sometimes that crosses a team border into like a data science team. But to some extent, this kind of operating model can bring those teams together. Because it's early, the category isn't fully established yet. It's early. That creates some really intriguing marketing problems. For example, a moment ago, I said they're called feature flags, this thing that we do, but they're also called feature toggles. They're both really good names, but it hasn't standardized just yet. So we've done a lot of market research this year to try to understand what people really say out there for the moment and where we think 
their thinking is going? What are people sort of standardizing on? You know, there's some extent of that where we want to influence it, but we also don't want to go like against the tide if the world, if the actual practitioners are really already standardizing. We're trying to find out what they want. We're trying to find out what do they think we just said when we present our messaging to them? Because the thing we just said that makes sense to us isn't standard out there just yet. It's not like it's just the natural way people sit, talk and there's tons of textbooks. It's not quite there yet. One of our pillars in the marketing team this year has been get your story straight. So I talk to a lot of marketing leaders fairly frequently, and there's this name that comes up time and time again, and it's G2. For those that are listening that are maybe less familiar, G2 is kind of this software comparison, crowdsource review type of site. What are your thoughts on it in terms of G2 and then more broadly industry reports, Forrester, Gartner? these types of things and how do they influence marketing? What's their importance? Where do they fit in? Sounds like you guys are doing a lot of stuff when it comes to industry analysis and reporting and all that. Love to just hear your thoughts on this. If you subscribe to buyer's journey framework, you might say that G2 is something equivalent to a reference check. I don't think you should be black and white about where people are in their journey and what they look at at that moment. But if you think of it as a reference check, like part of the selection criteria to build confidence they're about to make the right decision, I'd say G2 and analyst reports, you know, you mentioned Gartner and those, they're both kind of serving that purpose of an endorsement. I've seen some stat out there, which I will not attempt to quote, but there's some percentage like in the millennial population that they're really favoring things like G2 much more so than, than analyst reports. Someone out there can quote you know, the, the actual stats, so I'm not going to try to do it. But I know as a buyer myself, as a CMO, I am also a software buyer. I like to place bets on, let's say, exciting tools that may not be widely adopted yet. They may not be the standard or Salesforce or something, but analyst coverage for those tools isn't a given. You know, There may not be a report I can actually read, but G2 reviews and then, of course, reference calls and my team doing a proof of concept, like those are a lot more likely to be available. The contrast to that is when I worked at, say, a much larger public company that had more inertia against making IT and IS stack changes, then I found analyst reports to be very helpful, actually, in making my case. We certainly care for analyst relationships, but we are focusing a little more on review sites like G2. I mentioned that research that we've done, right? So we, it was a blind study. We did it was 300 respondents, blind study. They did not know that we were involved. And... Actually, customer experience, at least for us, bubbled up as one of the things, one of the positive things for us. And this was against our competitors, stack ranking across many different vectors. And everybody says, hey, our customers love us. We have great customer experience. Like that, Of course, we said that to ourselves too. But at least in the context of this market research, we did see that bubbling up for us. So we steered in a positive way. So we steered into that. We are trying to elevate the voice of our customers, allow them to speak about their experience with us. That could be in a really highly polished video, or it could be a G2 review. Absolutely. I love that perspective. What have been the most powerful channels uh, for buyer engagement for you guys? So we definitely catch a lot of traffic and conversions from paid search. I know that doesn't sound like a surprising answer. What's special for us because of you know what I described about our category being a little newer, that traffic doesn't come so much through our niche keywords like feature flags, right? Those are lower volume. People may not know that what they're looking for is what we do, but there are broader concepts in our world like A-B testing or continuous delivery, and those actually do work well for us. So they bring in 
a good amount of traffic that seems to have very high intent. And we have three conversion points that I would say, they're like our primary hard conversion points that are kind of interesting. Um, it might sound obvious once I explain it, but it was interesting for us to see it bubbling up in the data. So we've got to contact us. You can get a demo or you could sign up for our free product. And beyond that, we're largely ungated. So we see some interesting things, right? One, contact us is great for an MQL to book a meeting because that's, that's what they want. They want to talk to somebody. But it's not necessarily as strong a predictor whether something will survive through the pipeline, like to turn into revenue. The presence of a demo is better. So that's in the stack rank, that's one, one better. Someone wanted to see the product and particularly for like the buyer or the senior kind of personas that may be less hands-on, that's how we route people. The best we think is when someone gets into our free product and has actually tried it. And that's where we attempt to route the user personas, the developer community. They may not be the ultimate buyer, might not be the signatory on the contract, but having someone actively use the product is a really strong predictor for us of a higher win rate, uh, even if someone else is ultimately the buyer on that committee. So that's been really interesting to us. Things going forward that we're keeping a strong eye on is community building. But to some extent, I think community might be the new podcast from a year or two ago where everybody was starting up a podcast. Um, now you've, you're starting to see some winners and you're starting to see all the kind of followers divesting of some of those podcasts. I think community is kind of starting to happen. It's on everybody's list of the thing you got to do. You can definitely buy platforms for that. But where we're starting is a little bit more grassroots. We have a Slack community and we're really just focusing on that. We're not ready to gamify and buy a nice platform. Uh, we're just focusing on like real human interaction. So through Slack, through supplemental in-person events and that sort of thing. Absolutely. Let's jump to measurement attribution. I think this is uh, both something that everyone thinks about. Everyone has different views. It's tracked a bit differently and thought of differently with each marketer and company. How are you currently tracking performance across marketing and activities and all that stuff? Yeah, this is one of those grail questions, I think, in marketing. We look at it pretty holistically at an ROI model based on revenue and pipeline and marketing program spend. And you notice I'm not saying based on the channel mix and that sort of thing. We do have a first touch, last touch, rules-based attribution model in place. But I would say that's a matter of having adopted the last generation of best practice. And I said last generation on purpose, so I hope it doesn't hurt anybody's feelings. In day-to-day -day operations, I almost never refer to marketing-sourced versus sales-sourced pipeline, for example. Me and my sales counterpart, we almost never talk about that. I almost never isolate out one individual touch point, like one event, and challenge its isolated ROI. And I've lived doing that along with everyone else, right? I've been there. I've absolutely been that stickler for source attribution. Was this a partner source deal? Was this marketing source and that sort of thing? I've absolutely been the person who called the digital team to the floor and said, did display ads really work? Show me the ROI, right? Or whether one event worked, should we go back there? But I think we all know that human beings are just more complex than that. They're more complex than what those rule-based models can really represent. And I've just seen so much unhealthy behavior driven by that. In other words, gamesmanship. Yeah, I think that's so important to highlight. And these really complicated models are coming out, like multi-touch attribution and stages and all that kind of stuff. Is there some kind of secret formula that you guys have come up with or are you keeping it pretty simple? 
I would put it this way. There are the rules-based models, which is what most marketing departments use, where you say, look, I believe that the first touch has some value. Maybe I'll even give it all the value. This $10,000 opportunity or $100,000 opportunity was sourced by this first touch. So I attribute $100,000 to that touch. Downloaded a piece of content or swiped at a booth or something. And you might call that sourcing. Pretty much everyone agrees the last touch has some value. You might call it the conversion touch. Right before they entered the pipeline, they went to that event. Or right before they entered the pipeline, they joined this webinar, so on and so forth. Everyone kind of buys that. So there's a lot of first touch models. There's a lot of last touch models. But that's not really algorithmic. That's not really quantitative. You just made a gut decision. So then the next level of that was, which I'm just ungenerously going to call making it up, but still looks complex and sophisticated, is the multi-touch model where you start spreading the value across the intermediate touches, right? You know there's some value in the first touch. You believe there's some value in the last touch. But out of four touches, what is the value of the second? And nobody really knew or knows, right? Or what is the value of the third out of four touches? And you suspect that it's less than the first or the fourth, the first or the last, right? But is that really true? So you either spread it evenly, you just divide everything by four and give every touch 25K out of that 100, or you make a V-shape. I would say this is all pretty close to making it up. So I don't do it. So the counterpart to rules-based attribution is algorithmic attribution. And I've used a couple of methods. I would say there are two, arguably three prevailing methods where this world is going. And I believe it should go there. And these attempt to quantify the contribution of any particular touch, but really quantify it, not based on us saying, here's how much I think it's worth, but here's how much it was actually worth towards the completion of some goal, whether that was a web conversion or a pipeline opportunity or even a win. I would say the two biggest approaches try to do basically the same thing. And that is just quantify the marginal contribution of some touch, some touch or some channel, depending on how you model it. So Shapley is one. It's like a game theory rooted thing. It's like a weighted sum equation that assigns a contribution to each channel. If we're talking marketing, right? You could say each of the different channels is, has a different value in this Shapley model. And they all add up to the result. Another is a Markov chain model, which maps out all the paths to a success through all the different touches you could go. It's like a network. And then heuristically, like one at a time, removes a node to see what the removal effect is, right? In the absence of that touch, your likelihood to convert was lower. And so you can imagine that net difference corresponds, can be transformed a little bit into the contribution, like the quantified contribution. Clearly, they're both trying to do like the same thing. I think that's the way to go. That way, you need enough data. Data quality matters. There's software out there you can buy, or you can hire a data scientist like I did to try to create this. And these will tell you what the value of that intermediate touch, touch number two, touch number three, so forth, what was their value um, without asking you to tell it what you think the value was, which is the problem with those traditional, I would say, old-fashioned models. Absolutely. That's a good perspective. Finally, as we're wrapping up, any monitoring, predictive tools, anything you found is useful and mapping all this out and attribution, targeting the right accounts and all that stuff? Yeah, sure. I mean, as I mentioned, I'm an avid buyer of MarTech. So for prediction, I've mainly used Lattice Engines in the past, which is now part of Dun & Bradstreet. And then I've also used Demandbase, I should say, as well as Bombora. So 
Lattice, Demand Basin, Bombora. And I've also several times had Mintigo and Sixth Sense in my evals. I haven't bought from them just yet, but they're also really strong, strong players in terms of doing really machine learned models to predict who's likely to achieve some goal for you, like a conversion or a win. I'm probably not looking to buy any more of it. I would say they all basically have the same math. <laughs> you know, I mean, everyone has their secret sauce, but in the academic sense, the core intellectual property is rooted in the same place of these regression models and machine learning. I think the gap in these tools that I've lived through several times and I haven't cracked the code yet is that they market really well to marketers like me. They do that a lot better than they market to the sellers. The marketers are not unilaterally empowered, nor should they be, to drive a new sales tool into the stack. Like that has to be a partnership. And when you talk about things like intent, prediction has values in a couple of ways. It could just be, is this a good fit? ICP, is there, are they likely to convert ever? But it could be, are they surging? Are they interested right now? That intent side of it, which is so kind of appealing and juicy, that short time scale is a place where sales and SDRs even, they're masters of that environment. Marketers have their ways too. If they're not the ones getting marketed, if these vendors aren't helping to get buy-in from sales, then your marketers have it all on their shoulders. you got the problem of driving adoption of a tool in general, which is already kind of tricky. If any of them are listening out there, hey, that's what I would suggest for you if you're not doing it already is market to the sellers. They're, they're, they're part of the pipeline. Interesting stuff. If you're from demand base or six cents, great advice. Yeah, there you go. I'm sure they're going to go, that's in my plan already. Well, Aaron, it's been great to have you on. Thanks so much for sharing all your insights and best practices here. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.